About a year and a half ago, um, I was, we were out hiking in an area that, um, that used to be Cherokee land here in Georgia. We were hiking and, and I kind of had this, um, this epiphany, this moment where time sort of stood still. And, and um, I was walking with, uh, my youngest son was just a little over a year old and he was crying and I needed to nurse him. So, but we were hiking. So I just nursed him while I walked. And, um, and kind of this moment in time where history just collided with me. And I thought of all of my ancestors, of, of my great, 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 great grandmothers who walked the trail of tears or the trail of death who had to do that same thing. But it wasn't, but it was out of necessity. It just was one of those moments where the world just kind of fell in on me. And I realized this is who I am. That was Caitlin Curtis, Native American author of a brand new book coming out this fall called Glory Happening, Finding the Divine in the Everyday. And I met Caitlin via a kind of happy coincidence, but I'm so glad I did. She sent me her book and I sat down and read it in my backyard and immediately it was like sipping the cup of cool water that I didn't even know I was thirsty for. Caitlin is an elegant, beautiful writer and her words are just gorgeous. You're going to love this conversation and afterwards you're going to want to pre-order Glory Happening because it's that good. So enjoy my friends. Well, hey everybody, I'm here with Caitlin Curtis. She's the author of this gorgeous book that's coming out in November called Glory Happening, Finding the Divine in Everyday Places. And uh, I'm thrilled, Caitlin, to have you on the podcast. Hi. Hi, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's my, it's my, I, I told you on Facebook that I was just sitting in my backyard on Monday. So it's, it's I'm a pastor, Easter Monday, like I'm sleeping all day, basically. I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> I don't, I don't leave the house. Um, but I, but I, you know, I, I got the PDF, I opened up my laptop and I sat in the sun in my backyard and your gorgeous prose just, just like brought the heart rate down in a really good way. So I can't wait to talk to you about it. Um, first question though, tell me about your childhood. Like, what did you love? Uh, what were your parents like? What were your favorite toys? Did you play with my little pony? I mean, do, do all that. Um, I think I had a really simple childhood. Um, we didn't have a lot of money when I was little, so I remember simple things, you know, I remember playing in our yard. I remember, um, loving being outside with my brother and sister. Um, a lot of that stuff. And, and, uh, you know, just having a few friends, a few close family friends. And when we lived close to our, our family members, like my grandparents, I remember going there a lot when I was young. Um, and that was always important to me. And I, I love that when you're a child, you just don't really think about it. You're just what you are, you know, and you're just there and yeah. that's your life. And I think that that is what I cherish most now looking back is realizing that there is nothing that I had to analyze about being a child. I just was, you know, and yeah. I think that I want to give that to my kids too. Oh, that's beautiful. And how many kids do you have? I have two boys. Two They're three boys. and five. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Oh, yeah. Are they I like... Love 
come home with snakes in their pockets kind, kinds of boys? Uh, one of them. They're, they're <laughs> opposites in every way. So yeah. one is like arts and crafts and music and wants to make the world beautiful. And the other one will like punch you in the face and be a ninja. So they're, yes. they're so different. Uh, but I love good. that, you know? Yeah. So I have three boys and two of them are twins and the twins especially radically different. Just couldn't be more different in every, every way um, from how they look to, you know, their temperament and all that stuff. So, uh, so, okay, let's, let's talk about this book, uh, glory happening, finding the divine in everyday places. Uh, talk to me about why you wrote this beautiful book. Well, a few years ago we had, we had moved to Atlanta, um, from Arkansas and, you know, building a community. My husband was getting his PhD. Um, he's still doing that. It's a long journey. Um, hurts your brain. Like you're just tired at the end of the day. We were living in a two bedroom apartment, all four of us and our Husky who's very large and takes up some space. Um, and we just lived in this little apartment and, and, um, I started, you know, finding myself gravitating toward this way of living that I had never, um, really done before. Um, finding this need to, to make things simple and, you know, to, to declutter, to do that, to eat more simply, to recycle these things that were becoming really important to me. And, um, I realize now that that was out of my native American heritage. That was something that was kind of calling to me that was, that was being pulled out of me and it was connected to that, but I didn't realize that at the time. So Hmm. I started just writing and I would just write, you know, I have a blog, so I write on my blog a lot, but, um, I just started writing and I, I had no idea if it would ever be a book. I just wanted to write. And so I just wrote about these, these moments basically. And I reflected on moments from, from other, you know, seasons in my life and they just started kind of coming together so I just kept going until I had 50 of them. <laughs> yes. And so. like, um, cause you're a mom and your husband's PhD student and you work outside of the home, uh, as a worship leader. So like, when did you write this book? Well, um, I stay home with my boys. So a lot of, a lot of my space is at home and, um, we homeschool our boys. So they're home with us and yeah. we, we just, we live a simple, you know, our, our day schedule is simple. We wake up, we read books together, we drink our coffee. Like we, um, it's important to me to not live a hurried and rushed life. I yeah. really, I, um, I just need that. We need that for our family. That's just what we need. And, and so it came out of that, just mm. sitting on the balcony, reading and writing, make, a lot of it happened during nap time, yeah. but there were moments when the boys were just with me and they were doing whatever they do, making messes. And, and even that was a sacred space though. And I had to realize that. Yeah. And I, that, that comes through in, in the stories that you write about. Um, but it also occurs to me that this decision for a family in America in 2017 to live an unhurried life a simple life is countercultural and very difficult. So can you tell me a little bit about like you and your husband talking that through and sort of, sort of how did you get to that space? Because I think a lot of people want that, but they have no right. idea how to make it happen. Right. Um, I think again, it was something that started coming out of me that 
I think is that is a very, you know, common part of native culture as well. You work hard and you do what you need to do, but you, it's not that same hurried pace of America. It's not the workaholic syndrome or, you know, getting your kids up and getting them to school and, and being stressed or, or working so late that you don't have time for your family. It just is a different, um, we, um, we just want, um, you know, we want that space to be there and to hold it sacred. And, and so for us, it was just right. And, and it, when we finally, like, um, I think it was in the past year, year and a half that we finally said that out loud, like, this is, this is what I need. This is what I think our boys need. And we just made it a, a priority, you know, and it is true that someone else would look at us and say, you're lazy, you know, it's, <laughs> it's the reality, but, but I don't really mind, um, yeah. because I'm not, you know, I'm not stressed. I, I'm, you know, I have space to breathe and to, um, enjoy my children. Wow. And that's important to me and drink my coffee. Drink my coffee. Uh, so you talk about, please, please talk a little bit more about what it means for you. Uh, you're a Native American Christian. What, is that, what does that look like for you? About a year and a half ago, um, I was, we were out hiking in an area that, um, that used to be Cherokee land here in Georgia. And we were hiking and, and I kind of had this, um, this epiphany, this moment where time sort of stood still and and um, I was walking with uh, my youngest son was just a little over a year old and he was crying and I needed to nurse him. So, but we were hiking. So yeah. I just nursed him while I walked and, um, and kind of this moment in time where history just collided with me. And I thought of all of my ancestors of, of my great, 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 great grandmothers who walked the trail of tears or the trail of death who had to do that same thing, but it wasn't, but it was out of necessity. It just was one of those moments where the world just kind of fell in on me and I realized this is who I am. This is a part of me Um, because I had never embraced it in that way. It just, it had to be in that moment. And I think that, that the universe knew that and God knew that and, and, and it just changed everything from then on. And so I started writing a lot more out of that energy and out of that transition in my life as well. And so, um, being a native American Christian is an, is an odd thing because those worlds clash with each other a lot. They haven't, yeah. you know, throughout history, they have not gotten along. And I'm trying to figure out what that means because I grew up in the Southern Baptist church. Um, but I grew up native American too. And, yeah. and I just never realized I never gave, gave words to that, to that experience. And now I think I'm trying to, and I'm trying to raise my boys to be, you know, to love Jesus, but to be native and to embrace their culture. Um, we're learning our language. The Potawatomi, Potawatomi Citizen Band is our tribe. So we're learning the language online together. And, and, and um, we tell stories. Yeah. It's important. We tell the creation stories. of. Um, we tell those alongside the Bible creation stories. So we, you know, we want, we want those worlds to, to come together in our life. And, and I think it's possible, but not necessarily in the way of Western American Christianity might want it to be possible. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I, I love that. Can you, um, gosh, I mean, like say a little bit more about what feels conflictual between 
sort of Western Christianity and uh, Native American culture? Yeah. Um, I think in some of the easiest ways to describe it, there's this, um, this tendency to be, uh, to be logical. You know, we want, we want to have these beliefs. We want to understand certain things about God and native spirituality kind of bumps up against that in a really big way because we want to be okay with not knowing. And we want, it's, it's, I'm learning a lot. Um, I'm taking a, a course with Richard Rohr and, and it's, it's similar to Franciscan. It's really similar. There's a lot of native belief that, that is folded into that. And, and I love that because it, it helped me to know that I wasn't alone in what I'm processing. Right. Um, that, you know, I can see God in nature and creation. I can honor it. It can be something that helps me learn more about God, but, um, and there is, there is that in the church if you find it, but you know, it just depends on, on what congregation you're with, I guess, or what yeah. denomination, you know, and, but, um, you know, dating back to, to when tribes were, were pushed around and shifted, it was in, the, it was in the name of Jesus. And yeah. it's really hard to break out of that. Um, and, and the reality it is that, you know, Christianity, American Christianity is this, this cult, it's a culture yes. and, it, and, and I, I live I want to live against that, but I want to live with Jesus. Yes. <laughs> so, so I, I tell myself a lot that I'm decolonizing myself. I'm, wow. I'm decolonizing the things that I grew up with. Um, and, and that's a lot of layers that I have to peel back, but I'm finding, I'm finding God there and so much freedom and, and support from hmm. people at my church who honor my journey and who want to know more about me, want to know what it's like for me. And that has been incredible because I haven't felt, you know, so alone in it. I've had places to process. So that's been really good. It's oh, really beautiful. And I love this idea of decolonizing yourself. I, I did, that just seems meta and epic and um, <laughs> like definitely something um, that you would need to do, but also, and I don't want to take it away from like, like because Christ, American Christianity is a culture and not yeah. really all that healthy of a culture. Right. Um, we all in, in, in our different ways need, need to do that. I think with American Christianity. Um, so that's beautiful. Thank you for giving me the language for that. Um, I'm going to hang on to that. So in the book, uh, you wrote a story about your son, Elliot, and you guys Mm -hmm. are planting seeds. And at one point he speaks to the seeds (laughs) and he says, how are you seeds? And then he looks at <laughs> you and he says, they are good. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about that memory. I just, I think I laughed out loud in sort of this joy. I could see it happening. Tell me about when that happened and why you wrote about it. Um, my, my most, you know, sacred space in our little apartment was the balcony and one, I think it was Mother's Day or something. My husband, Travis, took the boys and they bought me a bunch of flowers and they brought them and we planted them. You know, I used, we had, we had pots, um, but we had like a, you know, one of those white gallon buckets and we just planted stuff in the bucket and we had some hanging, you know, hanging 
planters that were over the balcony. And it was like the only balcony in our entire complex that had any plants on it. There were a few others, but I was really surprised because I was like, there is sunshine here. Like, let's try to grow something. And, and, uh, I told Elliot, you know, from the beginning, I mean, he's got, he has got a love of nature inside Mm -hmm. of him already. Like I barely had to even touch it for it to grow. I mean, he, um, he loves nature and it, and it connects like it is a part of him and it's a part of his worship. Um, and, uh, when I told him, you know, you can talk to the seeds, like encourage them to grow, like they can hear you. And so he began to do that and he'll go into our, our front yard. Now we're in a house and he'll, you know, run around in the front and sing to the trees. And I mean, he's just a mystic, you know, he's a little mystic. And, um, and that story just meant, it meant so much to me to begin to see that in him. You know, he would have been um, four or three yeah. and a half or four. And that's just kept growing in him since then. And I think it was just one of those moments where I knew that that he sees life and he sees God and things that I might not always see it, you know, until I see it through his eyes. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I just, I, I love that. I love that. And I love the intentionality of a parent to say, let's, let's have that imaginative side grow, you know, instead of be diminished, like, you know, oh, when are you going to grow up? And, you know, real, I mean, you don't, you don't talk to plant. I mean, you know, like, uh, I yeah. love that. I love that. Um, so way to go, Elliot. Mm-hmm. Um, you wrote another story. You had a dream about your grandma's house and, um, Tell me about that dream and sort of, you know, what happened in the dream, but then also what happened to the house in real life. Um, my grandma's house was one of those places in my childhood that is very vivid still. You know, I've, I've kind of lost a lot of my childhood memories. I don't remember a lot. Um, I don't know why they just aren't really there. They're just kind of in a haze, but her house is one of those places where I just have so many memories being there. And, um, Throughout college, when we would go back and visit my other grandma, who also lived in the same town in Oklahoma, you know, we would always go to grandma's house after she had died and we'd visit just to see it, you know, just to see who lived there. And so once we went there and we we visited the people who had bought the house and um, they were just really sweet people. And then a few years later, we went for my um, my grandmother's funeral and they, we wanted to go see the house and someone told us that it had caught on fire and burned down. So it yeah. wasn't there anymore. So, so it was gone. And, um, and I, it was really sad, but I hadn't been in that house in a long time. I had my memories of it, but then last year I just one night had this dream and I've, I've always, um, had really vivid dreams and it was just one of those that I knew that it was speaking to me. Um, and you know, in, in native culture, your ancestors speak to you, your, your grandparents still speak to you after they're dead through different things. And I think one of those things is through dreams. And so it was just one of those things where I was, you know, in my dream, I was walking through the house, like weeping and I woke up and my eyes were wet. And, and I think I just, um, connected to my grandma in that moment. And, and it was just beautiful to wake up and know that, um, that her legacy and her memory is still with me. Mm. You know, that, that space of my childhood can still teach me something. And I don't think that we should, um, put, always put those things out of mind, even though we're adults, they can still 
mean something to us. They can still create something new in us. And I think that's what that was doing. So, yeah. And I think, um, thank you. I, I love that story too. And again, um, so your book is 50 of these, these essays. And so they're, it's like one after another and they're so good. Um, what I reflected on after that, that one is that there's this, there's this merging between the, the deeply spiritual, like this person, I mean, your grandma who lives on and, you know, speaks to you now in this very frail earthly thing, a house that can burn down, you know, and there's this, this, um, sort of a beautiful picture of what is most valuable lives on and the container in which we experience it and have these memories doesn't, you know, like we have to say goodbye to this one thing. And anyway, I loved it. I love that. Okay. So, um, I, when I was, um, gosh, probably 10 or 12 years ago, my family, uh, took me to Paris, my wife, Mary and I to Paris and we took the train up to Chartres and we went to the cathedral there that has sort of the original labyrinth, you know? And, um, so one of my friends, um, helped me understand, he goes, you know, labyrinths, they're not like mazes where you get lost. You know, you just, you just keep taking one step in front of another and, and you go in the center and then you come back out. And so we walked the labyrinth and, um, and I thought about what my friend said and, and you wrote, you wrote a prayer about the labyrinth and I have it in front of me. Do do you have it in front of you where, where you can kind of get it? Uh, I can find it. You want me to get it? I would love you to read it for us. I mean, I was going to read it, but I want you to read it. Let me pull it up. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. Um, because I think, and just while you're looking at it, I think so many of us, as it relates to God, we treat God like the the path that God wants to invite us on is like a maze where we can get lost and we can get tricked and we can, you know, Right. but the labyrinth is so different. It's yeah. not that at all. It's right. you just move. So, um, yeah, whenever you have it. Yeah, I've got it right here. Um, from... Yeah, this is the section 10. Okay. Yeah, here it is. Oh God, if you are the journey and the journey's end, that of course means that we live on and on, journeying forever, back and forth, back and forth, finding you and finding you again. Hallelujah, the journey does not stop here and it does not stop there because you, oh God, are unending. Amen. So every section, every essay ends with ends with a prayer that you've written, mm-hmm. and this one, section ten. Now I remember, is that the one? That's the. Um, it, uh, I'm um, in a cemetery. Yeah, you're in a cemetery, and you're sort of yeah. talking to all these different people. Can you talk about that one? Because that one was gorgeous. Yeah, um, I just I have Wednesdays like my work day where I'm away from home, and I you know, go to meetings at the church and stuff. And so one day I, I wanted to just go and read. Um, I had one of my books from Barbara Brown Taylor and I, um, I love reading her stuff outside. You just, it's one of those things that it just speaks to you differently. So there's a little cemetery near a park um, that's pretty close to our, our apartment at that time. 
so I went there and I just found a spot and I had a blanket in my book and I just, um, you know, growing up like cemeteries were always those, the, like the weird spooky places, you know? And, and now they're just some of the most beautiful places. And I love taking my boys there and, and just reminding them like, these are lives, these are stories that are, that are here, you know? So I just laid down and, and of course, you know, there were bees buzzing and there were, there were birds everywhere cause there's trees. It's a beautiful cemetery. And I'm just looking at these names and these stories. And the cool thing about, um, this, you know, a labyrinth or anything that's like a, you know, kind of a cyclical motion. Yeah. There's so much about that. And that's, that's in native culture too. The medicine wheel is about the, the cycle of life that it's cyclical. It's not like get from point A to point B. Like I talk about in my book that, that, um, that life is, it's our, it's our timeline, but I, I don't mean it in a way that it's like just a straight line. Cause, because it is more than that. It is this back and forth and weird ways that you'd never think your life would go. And it's, it's the, it's the journey, you know, and, and it doesn't always even make sense, but, um, but that's how we learn. That's, yeah. that's the beauty in it. I think, you know, yeah. totally. I mean, I, yes, I think the temptation is to think that it's a to B to C to D and you never go back to C or B, or if you do, right. that's a mistake or a yeah. failure or something yeah. like that, you right. know? Right. And I think that's, that's, that's so translated, uh, in, into our, into our faith. If we, if we see God as someone that we can figure out, stay, you know, nail down, um, understand, then we're, we're, we're treating God as if God is that same. Right. Um, you know, it's just, just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, isn't that just the yeah. most, like, yeah. if, when you say it out loud, of course, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Or the uh, box by box, like, I've done this step, you know, yes. I did my quiet time this morning. So next is, you know, service right. or like whatever, right. you know, it can even be like day by day. This yeah. is my ticking off of my list. And I, I grew up like that. That's how yeah. I used to be. And, and it hurt my soul, you know? I was, I felt shame if I didn't do it right. And that, oh, yeah. that's not how it should be. No, I was with a friend yesterday, Caitlin, and I was, you ever been in the conversations where like all of a sudden in the middle of the conversation, you hear yourself say something and then you realize, oh, <laughs> like <laughs> I, and, and I, and I was realizing that I was, I, I had fallen back into an understanding of God that was much more like that, like. God yeah. wanted me to do something difficult. God wanted me to make sure that I was giving up this thing. And, and, mm -hmm. and then I shared this invitation because she asked me like, what are some invitations that, it was such a breezy question, you know, it wasn't a deep, like, tell me your darkest secret of, you know, but it was like, like, what are invitations that God has you on? And I knew immediately. And so I told her what the invitation was. And then I did this thing with my shoulders and went like, oh. And then she started crying and she looks at me and points right at me. She goes, that's how you know it's God when you do that, that's you know? Funny. And, and then I was like, oh man, I've wandered away, <laughs> you know, like I've wandered away from that. Um, but then with yeah. that little invitation, you know, there I am again, I'm back. Um, and to me in some odd way, that's, that's the labyrinth prayer for me. I mean, that's mm. God is the journey. God is the journey's end. That means we live on and on and we journey forever and I don't arrive and I don't, you know, right. 
Um, so yay, yay. Okay, so um, you're a worship leader, and you've you talked a little bit about this, but I, I wrote this question down. So you're a worship leader in a Baptist church in the South. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, I live I... in the North, and I'm not in a Baptist church, but I certainly have thoughts, maybe caricatures about Baptists in the South. So talk to us about your hope for the church. Talk to us about your experience in the church and and um, um, and what you hope for. The church that I lead worship for, like I said earlier, it's Cooperative Baptist. So yeah. um, they, you know, there we wanted to. Our church wanted to have a female pastor, and that, you know, that doesn't go well with the Southern Baptists. So, um, so at some point we broke away from the Southern Baptists, and and. Um, you know, our church is, it's a really, um, historic building. It's a very, very old, um, civil war time wow. period. Um, and so there are families that have been there for generations and our church is really, I mean, it is a picture of the way the church works because it is an umbrella of, it is over all of these different people. So I lead worship for the more kind of progressive, eclectic, early service. And then we have Sunday school and then we have the traditional hymns and pipe organ, big choir. And, but in both of those services, there is a mixture of traditional conservatives, progressives, like it, it, it is just kind of all mixed in. And, and, and that's difficult. That is really difficult to balance that it's possible, but it is hard, you know, because you walk through those doors and you literally only have Jesus between all of you because that's all you can have or, or things implode. (laughs) So, um, and so it's been, um, really, um, interesting to watch this church, you know, when we first started coming just to watch the way it works. And we've been through a few pastors and, and it it has been hard. And that's just made me realize that it, it is hard to be the church. And now from my native perspective, it is really hard for the church to, um, sometimes reach out to things that are different than it is or the people in it are. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that, and, and just with the climate of where we're at right now in America, um, I feel like some things are at the, at this like point where some decisions are being made or the church, the people in the church are saying, who, who is the church even, (laughs) you know, what is, what is even happening? And so, um, for me, like I get overwhelmed with that big picture question. And so some, for me, what keeps me tethered to who Jesus is, is these daily things Yeah, is this, this moment by moment, I wake up, I love my boys. I, um, I pour into them for, for future generations. Um, I try to love people and I try to build community you know, and, um, I do the things that I feel like God is calling me to do and, and try to do it humbly and, um, with care for other people. And that's, I mean that, and, and then those things pour back into my, you know, the way that I lead worship because it's all connected and it, and, and those things feed into each other. And so that for me is where I have to, I have to stay there because it can get, it can be too much sometimes, you know, there's so much, Oh yeah, <laughs> so oh, yeah. much going on. Well, and I think there's this, um, there's so much tension right now. And yeah. what is the church? Who are we? Who are we not? And that can yeah. really easily flare out into 
sure. sort of violent rhetoric, you know, even when you're, as you're defending, <laughs> you know, the church. Yeah. Um, and so I like this idea of staying tethered to the gritty, earthy, um, loving your boys and defending, not defending, but just inhabiting simplicity. Um, do you listen to Krista Tippett on being? Do, do you- um, I just started listening. So I had known about it for a while and it was really funny because like four people within two days said, you need to listen to her. And I was like, okay, I'm going to listen. So I've, I've started listening and, and, um, kind of interacting with them. Well, she's, I mean, I just love, I love that show. It's my favorite podcast probably. Um, and she recently had this Irish, uh, poet, Padraig Tuama. Have you heard of him? He's this, Mm-mm. it's got the gorgeous Irish brogue. Um, and I listened to it a few weeks ago, but then my friend emailed me a, a little snippet, which, um, from this interview, which reminded me of, of, of what you were saying, these being tethered to the small things. And, um, so he wrote, uh, or he said to Krista in this interview, neither I nor the poets I love found the keys to the kingdom of prayer. We cannot force God to stumble over us where we sit but I know that it's a good idea to sit anyway. So every morning I sit, I kneel, waiting, making friends with the habit of listening, hoping that I am being listened to. There I greet God and my own disorder. I say hello to my chaos, my unmade decisions, my unmade bed, my desire and my trouble. I say hello to distraction and privilege. I greet the day and I greet my beloved and bewildering Jesus. I love that. I recognize and greet my burdens, my luck, my controlled and uncontrollable story. I greet my untold stories, my unfolding story, my unloved body, my own love, my own body. I greet the things I think will happen. And I say hello to everything I do not know about the day. And there's, there's some more, but isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. Um, yes. So your, your, your thoughts reminded me of that. Um, so what do you think Christians worry about too much, Caitlin? Hmm. I'm just going to be silent for a moment. You can be. When I was young, I worried a lot about what other people thought of me, but I don't know if that is just something that we do when we're young. It's just, you know, a natural thing to do that. I know some adults do that too, but as an adult, I don't care as much as I did when I was young. Um, I think... I think we literally, I don't know that we are worrying about something. I think we just worry yes. and it's just too much. Yeah. Um, I think that, that you can literally wake up and just breathe. And like that poem said, you can yeah. just start your day making friends with the habit of listening. Yeah. There, there are things that we can do throughout the day, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, where you can stop and just be. Yeah. And, and like, I don't, I, and I'm not talking about like, 
you know, if, if the word contemplation or meditation freaks you out, like it doesn't have to be that, you know, um, look at a butterfly on a flower for 10 seconds or do something. We worry. We just worry about this universe that we are not the center of. Like there is so much, there is so much more around us and, um, and we don't have to worry about being the ones to make all the decisions. And I think that humanity has so much to learn from the rest of the creatures and the rest of the things around us and from the children, from the, from the things that are, that, that we've always said are the lesser things, you know, the yeah. things that, that, um, are there just kind of in the background. I think that those things have so much to teach us about not worrying anymore, just, just stopping and just being and, and releasing whatever anxiety we have. Um, about ourselves or about who we think we're supposed to be or the pressure of not just American life, but, you know, I think we just do that as humans. And there's so much um, freedom in just, you know, me laying in my hammock in the middle of the day and just looking at the trees and, and just letting my mind do whatever it needs to do. But knowing that in that moment, there's nothing I need to be worrying about, you know, and that really that, that 10 minute period can feed me for the rest of the day because it, it reminds me of my place, you know, and that is with God too. It reminds me that, that I am secure and I can just be. Oh, I, I knew I, I, when I wrote that question down, I thought that's kind of an odd question. And I just (laughs) knew you had that. I knew you had that in you. Um, So thank you for that. I I resonate with that so deeply. Um, So you've talked about Richard Rohr and Barbara Brown Taylor. Uh, Who who, who are some of the people you read these days that are influencing your thinking? The most recent books that I've read are by Kent Nurburn. And they are, um, he wrote a book called uh, Neither Wolf Nor Dog. He's... um, so he is um, a man from, I think he's from Minnesota, and he went on a journey with a Lakota elder who yeah. invited him to come on a journey, and he wrote these three books, and um, reading those has taught me so much about myself as a Native person and and the white person in me, too. It's taught me those both sides, and it's um, there's so much in these books. It's basically just conversations, but there's so much about um, the spirit of God and the way that people have treated each other throughout Mm -hmm. history, you know, the way that we depict God or depict who Jesus is. And then we treat each other out of those ideas, you know? And so it's like that these books have shown me that too. Um, and I just started reading those, but, um, Wendell Berry is someone that I've been reading more of. Um, I want to, I want to, to read a lot more of his stuff. Um, Let's see. Barbara Brown Taylor's books, I could just read them over and over again. Um, because there's always, you know, some of yeah. those authors, you could just read it again and you get something new every time. And um, and I think that that's really incredible for, for a voice to speak to you like that, you know, in different seasons of life. Yeah. Um, I can't think of what else I've been reading. 
nearly Maybe, every yeah. quote that I read on the top of each section was like, wow, I want to read. Who, who's that? I want to read that book. <laughs> that's what I was wow. hoping. I love, I love quotes so much. Yeah. And um, that's what I was hoping. There will be, in the back of the book, there will be um, some of those, you know, the, the resources that people can get more books to read. Yeah. So that was my hope out of doing that is that people oh, yeah. would. They're delicious. Something. <laughs> All right. So one of your uh, traditions or practices is to grab a little stone, a little rock, a little Ebenezer um, when you have an experience at a different place. Uh, can you tell me when that started and maybe uh, a few stories from places that you grabbed stones? Yeah. Some of that probably started from my son, Elliot. Um, we went on a road trip last year and uh, Travis, my husband, decided that in every state, it takes like 12 hours for us to get home to Arkansas when we do road trips from here. So we just he decided with Elliot, he would stop in each state that we crossed and get a rock. And of course, some of those were like at a gas station, you know, yeah. <laughs> here's a piece of concrete, <laughs> pretend it's a rock, Elliot. Um, but that was really neat. And, and so Elliot has always been like that. He has a rock collection and, and it just was one of those things where he was seeing something. These, these rocks were speaking to him, you know, they, yeah. they meant something to him. And, um, and then when I went to, to Minneapolis and stayed with my friend Kathy and, and she was showing me this rock collection of rocks she had picked from all over the world. So it's just full of rocks and she'd taken a Sharpie and written, you know, written on it. And, and, um, there've been a few moments in my life where, you know, at churches sometimes or at conferences, they'll do something with a rock, you know, write a word on this rock. And, and, um, and so I had done that a few different times and I still had the rocks, but I hadn't ever really connected it to something deeper until now, you know? And, um, you know, recently we hadn't, I had a, a day we went hiking in that, that same place that I told you about where I first kind of realized my nativeness. And I found a rock there that was shaped like Oklahoma, which is where wow. I was born. It's like the perfect shape of Oklahoma. And, and, um, and that is an Ebenezer for me. That is a, that is that, that place where I have seen and known God and, and I carry that rock and, um, and it's important to me and I will always remember that, you know? Yeah. It's a, it, it reminds me that God, God sees me and knows my story and chooses to, to be a part of it, you know, and to guide it. Beautiful. Wow. Um, but you didn't grab a rock from Minnesota. Um, so you have a Heineken beer can uh, <laughs> from the airplane ride that you took home. I love that. So that's why I, that's why I Facebooked you and said, okay, at least I need to send you like a surly beer can or an indeed or, yes. you know, um, Heineken for, for the love of the Lord. Um, Caitlin, uh, so I, I don't know if you still have your, um, some of your prayers open, but I would love for you to read another one. If you would, I'm putting you on the spot there cause I didn't ask you beforehand, but would that be okay? Yeah. Is there a particular one you want to hear? You want me to just pick one? Just pick one. Okay. This one is from the seedling story about Elliot talking to the seeds. In the bright heat of summer, we shield our eyes and search the skies for you. We dig in our garden dirt for your life, your promise of nurture. 
In the calm death of fall, we watch leaves ride on your wind, watch animals sprint across roads and through acres of grass to fill up on life. In the swallowing up of snowstorms in winter, we hide under covers. We snuggle by fires to see that you still burn bright, you still reach us. And in spring, you usher us back to life, beckon us to the sun with mild blooms and glorious stretches of hiking gravel paths and tasting rainwater. We see then that you're always there, that you're here, living and breathing over all of it. May we know your world. May we serve it and let it serve us all for the love of you. Amen. Man. See what I'm saying, people? Uh, uh, yeah, you're good, man. You're good. Uh, do you know John Blaze? Uh, yeah, just through Facebook. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, he endorsed my book as well. Yes. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Really uh, so he just released—he just turned fifty, and he released this yeah. you know, Jubilee poems. Um, have you gotten that yet? Yes. Okay. So, okay. Um, mm -hmm. you guys seem kindred. You too. <laughs> In terms of your writing, so it's yeah. fun. Well, uh, was there anything you'd hoped I would ask you, Caitlin, that I didn't? I don't think so. Um, my book comes out November 7th. You could ask about that. November yes, 7th. Yes, Caitlin, when does your book <laughs> called Glory Happening, Finding the Divine in Everyday Places come out? <laughs> oh, well, it comes out November 7th. And it'll be available on paracletepress.com and Amazon and hopefully in some bookstores around the nation <laughs> yeah. if I can get into them. Um, and I'm also, I'm going to be speaking at the open conference in Indianapolis, October 12th through the 14th. So and I'll be at wild goose festival in July. So nice. there are a few places that I'm really excited to, to share my book and my story cool. with some people. I've never been a wild goose, but I would love to I haven't go. Either. Haven't you? Yeah, you know, you always hear such fun stories about people that end up going, and it seems like a really cool culture. Yeah. Um, so have fun at Wild Goose. <laughs> uh, I, you know, and this is going to, yeah, this is going to come out obviously way earlier. Uh, but we, Caitlin and I, will find ways to promote your book um, in November as well because I just love it. It, 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 it makes my shoulders relax. Um, and it makes me it's want to love. Book. Yeah, well, it comes through in your writing. It makes me want to love my boys uh, and my wife <laughs> and my yard and, you know, all those things. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Caitlin, where can we find you? Uh, your website. Can we follow you on Twitter, Instagram? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I have a, a my Facebook page. My writing page is Caitlin B. Curtis. Okay. And then I have my blog. It's called Stories. And it's... Uh, CaitlinCurtis.com. And then I write for Sojourners pretty often as well. So you can find, um, you know, just pieces I've written about the yeah. church or about being native in the church um, at Sojourners as well. Cool. Well, we will put all that stuff on the show notes and then the description on Podbean. So we'll put how to follow you on Twitter, Instagram, your website. Absolutely your blog. I'll, I'll find a couple of Sojourners articles, um, and put it on there as well. Uh, so get to know Caitlin, everybody. She's amazing. Um, an amazing writer, amazing soul. I hope you have, uh, got into that. So, uh, Caitlin, thanks so much. Uh, this was, this was so good, uh, such a good part of my day and I can't wait for the folks 
to hear you and to hear your thoughts and then to read your book. Um, I will be um, an enthusiastic supporter. So, <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> um, we'll stick around. We're going to say goodbye to the people, but stick around um, because I want to say goodbye to you too. So uh, at the end of every podcast, I say uh, we are dust and breath. We're limited and limitless. We're human and holy and we're in it together. So definitely true about, about you. So thanks, Caitlin. Thank you. Hey, everybody, I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my preaching, my books, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com. <laughs>